Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. And it's so good to uh, welcome those of you who are online. This week, I know last week I was watching online. I was out of town, always do that. A great community online. And then uh, at our offsite campuses, and I wanna especially welcome this morning the Johns Island campus. Uh, you guys are celebrating your fifth anniversary. Let's give it up for them. Fifth anniversary in Johns Island. And uh, we're happy for you guys. Rusty and Laura Graves do such a good job. And uh, what a cool place uh, that is. So, so um, have you ever had one of those days? <laughs> or maybe it was a week. And, and you, you, you came home and you pulled into the driveway and you said, I'm home. It's a safe place. Nobody's tugging at me for anything else. Just leave me alone. Now this is if you don't have toddlers, okay? Because it doesn't really work in that situation. But you're safe. Well, that's what we're gonna talk about for the next four weeks. And we're calling it Welcome Home. Welcome Home. We're, we're safe here. And we're gonna talk about how we can become the church that's a welcoming home for everybody. It's a safe place for us and safe place for our friends. And it's gonna be four weeks. And, and so we want you to just kind of relax this morning. They asked the old guy to come and you picked a great week to come. You really did. And, uh, and just share the message with you. You know, uh, several years ago, I was working at Hewlett Packard Company. And uh, that was back in the just crazy days of the early days of computer revolution. I remember when Mr. Packard came to where I was working and he told a group of us that uh, there's coming a day when what you're working on will be in every home. We were working on desktop computers, they called them, and none of them worked. We were in research and development. And he said, there's coming a day when one of these will be in every home. And I thought, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and, it, and it happened. But I can remember working at HP and, and I can remember uh, uh, meeting some friends, co-worker, and they're from New York and had moved out to Colorado and been raised in a Catholic church and actually went to Catholic schools, but they'd been away from church for a long time and God wasn't even on their radar screen. They had a child and um, tragically within a, a few weeks, that child uh, died. And there's probably nothing you can go through in your life, the experience I know some of you have. I, know ha I have a, a friend that lost just a child this, this past week. There's nothing like that. It's not supposed to happen that way. These guys were devastated. And uh, so Debbie and I just kind of went to be with them. They didn't really know anybody else. They were fairly new to the area. We didn't know what to say and we were hesitant to step in because you always feel kind of uncomfortable. And here's what I've discovered over the years. You don't have to say anything. In fact, sometimes you say the wrong things. It's just being there, just being there. And so we were there and, and over time they began to open up about their feelings of loss and we began to share the hope that was within us. And um, pretty, pretty soon, uh, they, they became very attentive to that. We talked about it a lot. 
And we talked about you know, where our hope came from. And I remember the day that he asked me, can I go to your church? And I thought, God, no. You, I didn't tell him this. <laughs> but I was thinking, that'd be the worst thing you could do. I'd never really thought about it before. But our church wasn't ready for people like him and her who were far from God and said the wrong thing. In fact, said some interesting things from time to time in conversation. In fact, our, our church, we, we felt like we wanted to reach the world, but we had no idea about how to reach our neighbors. And, and uh, we, we, just weren't, we just weren't prepared at all. And I thought, that's the worst thing you could do. In fact, in our church, when we had new people, it was usually somebody from our denomination that had moved to our town and would come to our church. And some of you can relate to that. And it was in that moment that Seacoast Church was conceived. I didn't know the name of it, and the church was actually born in April of 1988, but it was conceived in my heart in that moment when I said, if I ever get a chance, I wasn't even a pastor at that point, but if I ever get a chance to like design a church, to think one up from scratch, we're gonna think about my friend and lots of people like him. And so it's out of that that, um, that I wanna talk to you today about our church and who we see ourselves being, and together maybe we can learn what God has for us. And the scripture that comes to mind is Ephesians chapter one and verse 17. And it says this, this is kind of the foundation for all that we do here. It says this, Paul says, and it's a prayer, he's praying for the church, and I am praying Paul's prayer for us today. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I wanna read it. Uh, in the message version, it kind of says it a little bit different. It says, I ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing. Can you say knowing? In knowing God, impersonally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what he is calling you to do and grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life that he has for his followers. And so in that verse, there's four phrases, and we've translated those four phrases to four steps on our spiritual journey in God at Seacoast. It's, it's the foundation for everything that we do. And I wanna talk to you about the first one uh, today just a little bit, but I'm gonna give you all, all four so that you can kinda know where we're going with the series. But our spiritual journey consists of four steps. Number one, find God. Find God. He says, I pray that you may know him better personally. See, it's not about knowing who God is. I think everybody kind of knows who God is. We're in the South, for goodness sake. We know who God is. 
But there's a difference in knowing who he is and knowing the God of eternal, of eternity personally. In fact, the word know there is an intimate word. It's the same word that it's used uh, when Adam knew Eve and they conceived a child. It's an intimate term. It's, it's a term of, of, of being close to, of knowing personally. And, and he says, I pray that you would know him better. Matthew 7 and verse 21 says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Same word, no. I, I intimately, did, you, you knew about me, but you didn't know me. And so we believe at Seacoast, it all starts there. Everybody here at this campus, at all of our campuses are watching online. It begins by knowing God. It starts there, and I'll get back to that in a few minutes. Then the second step in our spiritual journey is to grow your faith, grow your faith. Uh, would you agree we all have issues from our past that hold us back? Anybody here have issues from your past that hold you back? Just, okay, a few people right here. Some here, okay. No, okay. Everybody should be raising your hands because I know you guys. And you're just jacked up. You just are. Some people, some people come to God really jacked up and they know it. Others of us in the South, we're real polite about it. We don't wanna tell anybody. You're jacked up. I'm just telling you that right now. That's why sometimes you'll run into a Christian that's meaner than a snake. And you'll say things like, boy, people in the world that don't know God are nicer than Christians. Well, people are people. But, but people that just come and they, they make a commitment to Christ and they never grow means that they never deal with the issues that hold them back. And, and we believe that you can't see tomorrow until you settle yesterday, okay? So first you know God, then you gotta grow, you gotta get healed up. In fact, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Well, you say, well, I thought my eyes were on my head, and I have two of them. Well, you do, but there's more important eyes, and they're the eyes of your inner man, the eyes of your spirit, the eyes of your heart. He says, I would pray that your heart would see it right. Would you agree that out of your heart flow the issues of life? Wisest man in, in the world said that, Solomon, in the Proverbs. Out of the heart come the issues. And so he says, guard your heart. And we're held back by things that our heart's telling us that aren't true. And so we need to grow. We need to be whole and healed. In fact, uh, James chapter five and verse 16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. He said there are, there are some types of healing that only comes through the acknowledgement and confession of sin, not to the Father, although we ought to do that, but he says the healing comes when we, can, when we get real with one another. When we take off the mask and we say, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm dealing with. And you know what? You know what's interesting 
is every time you do that, somebody around you is encouraged because they think they're the only one going through the same thing. And you know when this happens? This doesn't happen in this group right here. I mean, your biggest fear coming into this church, especially if you're new, is that the pastor would have a time where you had to circle up with prayer with four total strangers, and the pastor says, would you confess your deepest, darkest sin? You would make something up. You wouldn't tell the truth, and then you'd never come again, okay? Doesn't happen here. It happens in small groups. It happens when we get together and and we encourage one another in a men's group or a women's group or a couple's group or a singles group or a creative group or whatever it happens to be, when we actually get together, we take off the mask and we say, this is what I'm feeling. We confess our sin and then God comes in in healing and we continue to grow in him. That's where it happens. And the good news is during this series, we're asking everybody in the church, all the campuses, to be in a small group because we're all studying the same thing for four weeks. We're just asking four weeks is all. Four weeks, come and see if God doesn't do something in our hearts. And, and we'll be doing some teaching. I know I did a teaching on, on one of these that's gonna be played in, in the small group series. We're gonna go deeper in what we're talking about. But we grow in our faith as we connect with one another. And then the third thing that we do as a church is we discover our purpose. He says, I pray that you may know the hope to which he has called you to. See, God has a purpose for everybody. And here's what's great about your purpose is it's full of hope. Purpose is always connected to hope. Mark Twain said, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Isn't that good? When you figure out, this is why I was created. This is what I'm supposed to be doing right now. It's an incredible, incredible day. And we help you do that through something called the Inside Track. And we'll talk a little bit more about discovering your purpose later in the series. But the Inside Track happens once a month at every campus. Here at this one, it's the first three weekends of the month where we ask you to come together and just give us about a half hour, 45 minutes. We feed you, we take care of your kids. It's during the services here. And, uh, and you discover a little bit more about how God wired you up and what your purpose is. So find God, grow in your faith, discover your purpose, and then the fourth thing that we do is make a difference. This is my favorite. It says, I pray that you may grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life that he has for his followers, his holy people. In other words, we discover our purpose. Our eyes are enlightened to know God. We discover our purpose, and then we become a part of a team that makes a difference. There's nothing better than being a part of a championship team, of a team that really makes a difference, and it's together with God's people, and we'll talk about that as the series goes on. But I wanna come back right now to kind of kind of the focus of this weekend, and that's finding God, finding God. We believe that everybody needs to find God. What's our strategy for that? How do we do that here at Seacoast? Let me tell you what we do. Our number one strategy is we build our weekend services, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. We build our weekend services around people finding God. See, we see our weekend services differently than the church that my friend asked me to go to, see? In that church, we weren't weren't that concerned about 
uh, people that, that hadn't, uh, hadn't found God yet. We were concerned about an experience for us. Did this really feed me? Is this really, you know, do I really feel something? Now, those things are good. And we believe at Seacoast, you can be fed every weekend. You can feel God as you come into this place. But our number one primary concern is this. We are more concerned about those who aren't here yet. We love everybody here, but we're more concerned about those who aren't here yet. It's, it's about more than just hearing great music and a nice message. And boy, at Seacoast, I have never heard music. I go to the campuses, they're so talented. Here, I was, I was watching online last week and I thought, two things, everybody looks so young who were leading us in worship and they were so talented. There were more tattoos and man buns. <laughs> and that was just the women, you know? <laughs> it was just... <laughs> Great music here, but can I tell you, it's more than music. You can get that in a concert somewhere. This church is on a mission, and once you find God, we have a responsibility to help others find God. You need to know that's what we're about, and if you don't get that, this church will bug the fool out of you. It really will, because you'll get irritated about the traffic jams getting in and out of this place. You'll, you'll, you'll get irritated about, you know, you finally, especially in this building, you finally found your, your home seat. And you were a few minutes late and there's somebody else sitting there. There's too many kids in the kids' classrooms until we get that fixed. And all kinds of things are just gonna bug you until you get it. Until you understand that it's not about you. It's not about your kids. It's about eternity. It's about finding God and helping other people find God. And when you get it, it makes sense. And we gear everything we do on the weekend to help people find God. In fact, we'll do and try anything short of sin to help people find God. <laughs> and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Because we try stuff. If you've been here long enough, You've seen us try stuff on the weekend and sometimes it's a swing and a miss, but we're gonna try because eternity matters. This life matters. You know, when God looks at the, at the earth, I believe he doesn't just see the Christians and the non-Christians because he loves them all. They're all his kids. God would say, I've got some found kids and I've got some lost kids. Now, if you've ever lost anything of value, all you can think about is the lost thing. Would you agree with that? Anybody ever lost their keys? Anybody today? Okay. You lose your keys, what do you do? Where's my keys, where's my keys, where's my keys, where's my keys? Here's a thought you never have. Well, at least I've got a couch. <laughs> all you think about is what? the things you've lost. So I grew up in Denver. We went to the rodeo. Don't laugh, that's what we did in Colorado. Went to the rodeo. And um, they had a big rodeo in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I, I can remember one time, uh, the Frontier Days or something. I, I can remember going up there one time with our family and this is when we only had three kids. This was before my youngest brother was born. 
And we went to watch the rodeo. I love the rodeo. In fact, the bull riding was my favorite part. And uh, just before the bull riding, my brother Jeff, my younger brother, six years younger than me, had to go to the bathroom. My dad likes the bull riding too, so he said, Greg, take your brother to the bathroom. Now, here was his expectation. I was to come back with my brother when we were done. It's kind of like what we say to our youth pastors when they go on the summer camp or whatever. We say, count the kids before you leave and come back with the exact same number, okay? Well, I went to the bathroom and you know what happened? My brother got lost. I, somehow, I lost my brother. What did I do? I came back and sat down because I wanted to watch the bull riding. My dad looks down at me and says, where's your brother? I said, I don't know. <laughs> Guess what? That was not a good day for me. Because the whole family got up, and what did we do? We went and looked for the lost brother. Here's something I didn't say. Dad, we've got two out of the three kids. We're doing pretty good. <laughs> and you wouldn't either. You would leave everything, put everything away, and you would go and search for that which was lost, especially if it's one of your kids. And that's exactly God's priority. See, when God looks down on a church service like we're having today, he's pleased with the worship. And some of you were lifting your hands in worship and it was wonderful. But he's not totally focused on the people who are praising him because he's concerned about his lost kids. Real concerned about his lost kids. In fact, there's a whole chapter in the Bible, the book of Luke, Luke 15, you should read it. I don't have time to teach it today, but it's about three lost things. It's about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. And what people do and how they go when something is lost. And the moral of the story is, I will leave the found things to go and find the lost thing. Because lost people matter to God, and they better matter to us. And unless you get that, you'll never get this church. You'll never get this church, because it's not about us, and it never has been. So our weekend service focuses on four values. Let me give them to you real quick. Number one, celebration, celebration. Uh, the writer of the psalm said, I was, is this on the screen, can you see this? Can we, can we read it out loud? Let's read it out loud. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. The writer of the psalm says, I gotta go to church. He said, I was glad when they said, let's go to church. He didn't say, I was sad when they said, let's go to church. Or I was mad when they said, let's go to church. Or I was bored when they said, let's go to church. Uh, you know, some people, think that church is penance for the week. That it's, it's the most boring hour that um, I could be a part of. Or you go into some churches. I, I remember be, being in churches. I go into a lot of churches. Every once in a while you'll go into a church and it looks like the, the saints of God were weaned on pickle juice. I mean, they're just <laughs> sour. And... That's not here. <laughs> We, we want it to be a celebration. We want it to be fun. We want to worship God with all that we have. We want the greeters greet you. I mean, people 
people have told me that have come and visited our church, other pastors, they say, this is one of the most friendly churches I've ever seen in my life. They start waving at me in the parking lot. People are actually feel like they're happy that I'm here. We strategize that. Because it's part of a celebration. I tell other churches, other pastors, I say, don't put your grumpy people at the door. Okay, don't do that. Don't put your scary people at the door. Some folks are scary. Give them a job somewhere. Put your friendly folks. Put the people that feel like, hey, I'm glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. The church should be the highlight of the week, we believe. Our second uh, focus on the weekend is inspiration. I've already said it, it's not about great music. It's not about fancy lights or screens or comfortable seats or witty messages. For us, God has gotta be here. We value the presence and power of God. 1 Corinthians 14 says, but when some unbelievers or ordinary people come in, they will be convinced of their sin by what they hear. They will be judged by all that they hear. Their secret thoughts will be brought out in the open. Not in the open for everybody else, but it'll be brought up in their own mind. God brings up, have you ever been sitting in a, in a, hopefully in a service here, and the speaker's speaking on something, and it just illuminates something inside of you, and you go, oh wow, yeah, I had that one wrong. And you wonder, how, how in the world was he listening to me? We're not that good. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God who takes his word and makes it alive to everybody, see? So he says, um, and they will bow down and worship God, confessing truly God is here among you. Um, God is here. And it's a value that we have. We value the presence and power of God. I, I basically taught this message um, for the first 10 or 15 years of our church in my home. Some of you were there. Uh, you'd be a newcomer and you'd come to church and I'd send you a letter. Remember letters? Yeah. I'd send you a letter that said, Debbie and I wanna invite you into our home for newcomers. And so we'd have newcomers in our home and, and every month when we would do that, somebody would always say, you know, this is crazy, but when I come into the church, I cry, and I haven't cried in years. And they would ask me, what is that? And Debbie would say, she doesn't say a lot, she's quiet. But she would always say, you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit. It's God's presence in the place. We value God's presence to such a degree that a few years ago, we changed the whole way that we do church. Uh, we used to have about 20 minutes of worship at the front end, and here's what I notice, especially with guys. I'm always watching guys. Ladies, you guys get it. Guys, we are a little slower on the uptake when it comes to spiritual things. And I would watch guys, and guys, you guys would wait to come in for the preaching. Or if you were in for worship, about 10 minutes in, you're standing here and looking around and all this kind of stuff. And so we changed it. We said, you know what? We're gonna put just a couple of songs on the front end, and then we're gonna put our worship on the back end where that we can respond to God's word. And people respond in different ways because people are wired up differently. If I was to ask you how you experience God, some of you would say, it happens when I read my Bible. Others would say it happens during a quiet time. Others would say it happens when I'm doing something for God. Some would say it happens when I take a walk in nature. We're all different. So what we do here is we respond in different ways. People get up, go to a cross, maybe light a candle, receive communion, 
have prayer for one another, and the whole worship God with the, with the worship team, and the whole idea is to experience the presence of God. So we're about inspiration. Oh, I gotta hurry. We're about preparation. I love doing this message, I really do. Some, are you getting anything? Are you guys getting anything? Okay. We're about preparation. In other words, we try to give you a message you can use throughout the week. That's why you give, we give you handouts. We work real hard on that. I remember sometimes being in church and getting real inspired, but I couldn't remember anything after I left. So we try to give you some, in fact, some of you, many of you have said this to me. We take, sometimes we take the handouts. Some of you say it sheepishly, some of you say it boldly. But we take the handouts and that's, that's something I give to my sales team. You know, I, I tell them or my team at school or my athletic team. I always give you credit and I always say, don't, you don't have to because it's all God's, you know, it's all God's. But we want you, we prepare hard so that you can be prepared for the week. And then the fourth thing is salvation. Celebration, inspiration, preparation, salvation. Our church services are, are designed so that people will find God. So why is this so important? And how do we do it? It's so important because it's the foundational thing to know God. And the way we do evangelism, which is what this is called, evangelism, is we do it as a team. And here's what I ask of you, everybody, campuses here. At least two weekends a year, you don't have to do it every weekend, but at least two weekends a year, bring a friend with you, a friend that doesn't go to church. And then you do what I can't, and I do what you can't. In other words, I can't invite all of your friends to church, but I can present the good news of the gospel in a, in a hopefully a creative and simple way. And so we work together as a team. That's how we do it. And that's how we've grown. I talked about the people in the parking lot, the people that greet. We all work really, really hard. Musicians, you know, they just don't get that good by not practicing. These people practice, practice, practice. For the weekend sermon, let me tell you how it works. Whoever's preaching on Thursday has to be done by, or whoever's preaching on the weekend has to be done by Thursday at noon. And then they have to preach their sermon to 10 of us sitting right here. Can you imagine being in a 2,500 seat auditorium and preach, not just talking through, but preaching your sermon? And then we give feedback and critique and all of that kind of thing. Why? Because we wanna do it really, really well on the weekend. For your friends, for your friends. You bring a friend and we're gonna treat them right and respect. So how do we share our faith? Let me, let me coach you up here just a little bit. You, you understand that term? Just gonna teach you just a minute about how you're part of what we do on the weekend. Uh, how do we share our faith? Number one, we accept personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. There's a scripture in Acts, I believe it's Acts 26, about verse 16, I think. If it's not there, it's somewhere in the Bible. But there's a scripture about the fact that God knows the times and the seasons and the places where you would be born and where you would live. You could have been born at any time in history. You could have lived anywhere on the planet, but God chose right now where you live, where you work. And he says that he did that so that some around you in your circle of influence would come to do the first thing 
that's a priority here, and that's no God. And somebody a few years ago here at Seacoast that came down for prayer, and I happened to be the one praying, and they said, I want you to pray that I'd get a new job. I said, okay, tell me about your job right now. They said, well, I'm the only Christian in the entire department, and I want a job where there are more support for me. And I said, my goodness, I'm not praying that for you. I cannot believe that God trusted that entire department to you. What I'm gonna do is pray that you get a vision for what God's got you there for. Do you get that? You get that? And so take personal responsibility, whether it's where you work, the people you know, whatever, God's placed you there. I have a responsibility to share the good news. Second thing you do is build a personal relationship. Just build a personal relationship. People aren't looking for a theological debate. A lot of times folks say, I don't know, you know, I don't know enough of the Bible to really be of any worth. You're probably better than a lot of people that know too much of the Bible and argue, 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 argue. That's not what people want. People don't care how much you know as much as they care how much you care. They, they wanna know how much you care. See, and so just build a relationship. Uh, then the third thing you do is you share your personal story. See, evangelism is not telling a person what's wrong with them. For years, the church had it this way. You need to go tell the world, turn or burn. The sermon was, you're going to hell. If you're in the South, it's a two-syllable word. Most people know how bad they are. In fact, most people have a worse view of themselves than they really are. What they need is the hope of Jesus. And we're a witness. It says we're to be witnesses. What do witnesses do? In a trial, they just tell their side of the story. That's all it is. And so you just tell your story. And listen, this is what I've discovered. The fresher the story, the more effective it is. Those of you who are just brand new, you're the best witnesses. Because you just say, this is what happened to me. And then the fourth thing you do is just give a personal invitation. Now, if you know how to lead them to Christ, do it. But most of us don't. Just invite them to our church. Every weekend, it's here for you and your friends. Just give an invitation. Heard recently about a seacoaster who's an Uber driver. And he was driving a customer, and his customer seemed distressed. You know, sometimes it's just paying attention to what's going on around you. Just saying, what's everybody else feeling? And so he began to talk with him, began to build a little bit of rapport, rapport, and then he just shared his story about what God had done. And it just so happened it was a Saturday. He said, we've got church service in a few minutes. Would you like to go? He said, sure, I'll go. And the customer found God that night, joined a small group, went on the men's hike, and is growing in their faith. Well, I wanna tell you something. We'll treat your friends with respect. We'll practice, we'll study as hard as we can, and then we'll give them an opportunity to receive Christ. We do that several ways. Sometimes we say at the end of a service, every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just raise your hand if you wanna receive and, and find God? Now, if you've brought a friend with you, we give you permission to peek, pray and peek, just do like this. Or sometimes we say, just look up at us. Or sometimes we say, there's a word on the screen. Just text that word to 320, 320, okay? But I'm gonna tell you something. If your friend does it, it will be your favorite service ever at Seacoast because that day you captured the heart of our Father. 
So that's how we do evangelism. Now, Sundays aren't the only way we reach people. Let me give you our mission field, and then let me close this up. In Acts chapter one, it says, you will be my witnesses, who? The church, you, Seacoast, will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What does that mean? Jerusalem's where they lived. Judea, Samaria was kind of the state or nation that they were a part of, and the ends of the world was the ends of the world. So how do we translate that here at Seacoast? In Jerusalem is our cities, and we're in 14, uh, 13 different cities, uh, and, and then online. And in each one of those cities, uh, that's, our, that's our Jerusalem, and, and we do outreaches in every city, in some of the cities, and hopefully in more in the future, we have dream centers. North Charleston, we have a dream center. Uh, West Ashley, we have a dream clinic. And, uh, and, and we're in prisons, which is amazing. I get notes from prisoners that are, are a captive audience and watch Seacoast on the weekend. That's our cities. In our nation, uh, that's Judea and Samaria. And our strategy for the nation is the ark. We plant churches. How many of you believe every community needs at least one life-giving church? There needs to be multiple life-giving churches because there are different types of people. And uh, we plant churches. Uh, we, we started about 18 years ago. In fact, this weekend, we're planting 20 brand new life-giving churches all over America. 20 of them. In places like Utah and Idaho, somebody from this church uh, is, is planting one in Idaho. And uh, Sacramento, California, even my home city of Woodward, Oklahoma, where I was born. But ARC and, and a little bit of, of everything that you give goes toward planting churches every week. Um, to the ends of the earth, that's our world. I can't tell you all that we do in the world. We, we help provide clean water and schools and education and um, uh, economic development and medical needs to uh, people around the world. But I can tell you this, at least 10% of every dollar that comes in this church, and it's more than 10%, but at least 10% goes outside to do those things. So how can you participate? First of all, pray. What do you pray about? Pray about everything I've talked about. Pray that people will find God, that they'll grow in their faith, that they'll discover their purpose, that they'll change their world. Pray for our cities. Pray for the churches that are planted all over the nation and now around the world. Pray, pray, pray for the world as, as we provide things that, that are needed. Pray for workers for the harvest. Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. Too often the church looks like a football game that you'll watch today, where there will be 22 people in desperate need of rest being cheered on by 80,000 people in desperate need of exercise. <laughs> and that's not how it should be. Jesus said, pray, pray, pray for dream teamers. Pray for, for, for workers in the harvest. And then give, then give. Now, if you wanna go to an inexpensive church, go to one that's got the mortgage paid off and has never grown in years. Because it's cheap, it's, it's easy. This is not an easy church. This is a growing church. We've got projects, we've got We've got campuses, we've got world mission opportunities, but here's what I wanna tell you about giving. If you're new to this church, we don't pressure you for giving. I know when we were building this building, I had uh, fundraising consultants from outside that said, you've gotta 
figure out who the people are with money and then you gotta go sit down with them and ask them for a specific amount. I had somebody in this church that said to me, hey, I'm waiting for you to tell me how much to give because they're used to giving, but they always tell them how much. We don't do that. We don't do that. Here's what we do. Here's the need, you pray about it. Just ask God, because we believe that God will prompt your heart and that we'll have all that we need. But you need to learn to be generous and learn to just pray and ask God and then go, and then go. Uh, in Isaiah, it says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people. I wanna challenge you to go. I wanna challenge you to go into the marketplace where you work and just look around like the Uber driver who's stressed. Where's an opportunity? Just pray for an opportunity. You pray for an opportunity and God will use you. I want you to go to the dream centers. You ought to go and visit them. I want you to go at least once a year on a mission trip. Somebody told me last night, they're in their 70s. We're going to our first mission trip ever. We're gonna, we're gonna go. It's gonna change their life. Go, go. So let's go back to that first story about my friend. Remember him at Hewlett Packard? You know, I hope my friend found God. But I've discovered since then that hope is not a strategy. We have a strategy. I've laid it out for you today. Almost every week I get a note from somebody, an email or a text, somebody that says, you know what? I brought a friend this week and they committed their life to Christ. Here's my favorite ones. Did I talk about men earlier that we're a little slow on the uptake sometimes? I'll get a note from a female They'll say, you know, I found God several years ago, but it's been so hard for me because my boyfriend or my husband doesn't share the treasure that I share. They aren't interested in church. And finally, I got them to go last week or two weeks ago or last month. And they got something. And they came and they came and they, now they're even more committed than I am. I love that because that's a part of the strategy. God's strategy is you and I become his hands and his feet. And so this morning as we close in prayer, I just want us to recommit ourselves to the strategy of God. It's not about us. We get the overflow, which is fantastic, but it's about him and it's about lost people, his kids that he cares about. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your word, I thank you for this wonderful church, family that, uh, that is put here for a purpose. We're on mission, God. Don't ever let us lose the reason we exist. So God, today we recommit ourselves to knowing you, to finding you, and to helping your lost kids find you also so that their lives can be full and changed and forever with you. God, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.